How's everyone doing? Try that just maybe twice more. How is everyone doing today? All right, good. Uh, my name is Michael, and um, uh, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, we have been walking through a series in uh, Romans. This is the 18th message, so we're somewhere about five, six months into this journey through Romans. And uh, today, specifically, I'm excited because kind of when I mapped out Romans, there was a few verses, a few sections that, in particular, I was very excited about because they were pretty powerful verses. And uh, today, I'm coming to one of those verses, and it's actually uh, chapter 8 of uh, Romans, and it's verse 1. And chapter 8 of Romans says this, so, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Read it one more time. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, I don't know how this is going to work, but I want to ask a question. We'll tuck that in there. How many people today, okay, we're only about 11 hours into this day, how many people today have already at some point felt condemned for something? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? How many people, without raising your hand, have already felt condemned for just something, okay? Something you said, something you did, something... You didn't do. It's church, right? Like, so, oh, you condemned yourself just for, I showed up late today. Or you showed something that you already condemned yourself for. This morning, what I'm really excited to talk to you about um, is this one verse. We're going to look at four verses in total, but uh, this one verse here in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1 specifically. It's four key words. I'll point the four words out. They're kind of highlighted there for you. But uh, the first one is just simply, therefore. In light of everything that Paul has said in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, in light of everything that he has taught, instructed, revealed, everything up until this point, he has now in chapter 8, verse 1, this one word, therefore, meaning in response or in light of everything that I've said, you need to know this one overarching response to what God has revealed. And it's just simply this, in light of everything, the one conclusion that we can draw is, if you know who Jesus is, and not just intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is, but if you know who Jesus is, have a relationship with Jesus, then there is a phenomenal truth uh, for you. And it's the truth that you do not now or ever, stand condemned. So in light of everything that Paul has instructed and taught, therefore, our conclusion, our response can just simply be, because of Jesus and knowing him, I do not stand condemned. So condemnation is not part of my world. It's not part of my reality. I don't ever need to have a condemning thought of myself or ever think that God has a condemning thought of myself. The second key word is now, meaning this is a truth that is for today, not tomorrow, not in eternity. It doesn't kick in like when 
we die and meet Jesus face to face, that's when no condemnation becomes true. Like today in this very moment, if you are a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, now there is no place ever, now or in eternity, where condemnation should even be part of your vocabulary, nonetheless part of your reality. The third word, no, means no, right? Not some condemnation, not like a little condemnation. When he says there is no condemnation, he's saying like there's none. Like it's not possible if you are a Christian and know who Jesus Christ is, it's just not possible that there would be any ounce of condemnation that you would live with now or for eternity. I think some of us are like, like a little bit or maybe some or on occasion, depending on what I do or don't do. No, if this is true, and I believe the Bible is true, if it's true, then now there is no condemnation. It says no condemnation, meaning not just a little, but none. And then the fourth key word here is just simply in. All of this depends on the in. And it's a very simple in. You are either in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with him, or you don't. If you are on the in, if you know Jesus, confessed him as God, confessed him as Savior, confessed him as Lord, if you are in relationship, again, not just factual, just not like he's my homeboy type of thing, if you know Jesus, then this is true for you. Now, the flip side is, if you don't know who Jesus is, it's not true for you. It would make sense that you would walk around feeling either self-condemned or feel that God's condemning you or feeling that other people are condemning you. Four key words in this one verse, therefore, now, no, and in. Now, a little word association. When you hear the word condemnation, when you hear that word, what actually comes to mind? Just, you don't have to shout out loud, but I say condemnation, and what is the very first word that comes to mind? I think generally speaking, for most people, the first word that comes to mind is they think of someone who is just messed up royally. Like they did something really horrific. Like you name whatever the horrific thing is that they could do. But when we think of condemnation, we think of the horrific things that someone either did to themselves, did to someone else, or maybe did to, uh, to God. But we typically equate condemnation with the absolute worst of the worst are like the really, really, really big sins. But when scripture talks about condemnation, there's no like scale of like, well, it's for the really messed up people, but the really less messed up people, they don't have to worry about any, con any type of condemnation. Let me ask you a question. And I think this question will reveal like where you are on the scale of how you understand condemnation. And the question is this, do you relate with God as if you were on permanent probation? Like, is your relationship with God kind of like, I've, I'm on permanent probation with God? Meaning, you live life thinking at any moment, at any moment, God will change his mind about you because of something you did, because of something you didn't do. At any given moment, at any given time of your day, depending on what you do or don't do, what you say or don't say, think or don't think, God will somehow potentially change his mind and his favor will not be on you anymore. If we live life, and I think a lot of people do, thinking that I can somehow sway God with a really good performance, and if I have a bad performance, 
I did something really stupid last night. I went out and did things I, w- I shouldn't have done. Then that's going to sway. Certainly God's not going to have, he'll, he'll change his opinion of me. If we believe at all that God has changing opinions of us, we are people who are really saddled with condemnation. Now, condemnation comes to every single person. You can big, little, anything in between. And usually it's the result of, I feel guilty, I have shame, I feel just condemned over things done or or not done. And we live in a world that is very good at condemning people. It's amazing to me that we don't like when people condemn us, but we do the very same thing back to people. We don't like when people treat us a certain way or you know, talk to us a certain way or don't talk to us a certain way, but we reciprocate and we can do easily and quickly and often the exact same things. Now, I'm wearing a bag on my back, just in case you hadn't noticed. And for those of you who are sitting in uh, the first few rows, I brought in uh, a good chunk of my luggage from home. And my contention uh, today is, I'm already uncomfortable in my back. I've got pillows in here, okay? I didn't want anyone to be tricked that there's anything really heavy. But it's already uncomfortable sitting like this with this bag on me. And I know for me, because I've been there, I've lived this way, I've done this, and I see it happen a lot, that people literally, they live life walking around with different bags, And in their bags is a bunch of guilt and a bunch of shame and a bunch of condemnation. And what we do is, because the bags at some point get heavy or uncomfortable, is we just kind of, you know, switch things around and reposition ourselves. Like, I believe that some people are so comfortable and familiar with the bags that you carry, it's just your norm. It is your norm literally to walk around. Like, if I was in an airport, I wouldn't be getting any funny looks right now. This is normal. But in church, I've got nothing but funny looks from people of, what are you doing with all of these bags on you? But the reality is we all walk around with bags. And no one looks at you funny because everyone's carrying a very similar bag. And we just kind of adjust it from time to time. Now, as I read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I get very excited because it's good news to me that God says, Michael Davis, put your bag of shame and guilt and condemnation down. If you really believe who God is and what God has said and what God has declared, if you know who Jesus is, then I have one verse, and there's more verses that speak to this, but Romans 8 verse 1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation at all, ever, for those who are in Christ Jesus. To me, I already feel lighter. And these are just pillows. I just want to ask maybe a question for you. Kind of visually think about this. Can you actually imagine what your life would look like if you walked free of the luggage you carry? Can you imagine how much lighter you would be if you just put aside your shame and your guilt and the condemnation bag that we often all carry. And this is the reality. Some people are like, yeah, I would love to do that, and I have done that, but then without even knowing it, I pick that bag back up and I start carrying it for a few days. Why? Because I did something stupid last night, and I'm shamed, I'm guilty, I'm condemned for that. And then after I've kind of you know, beaten myself up for a while, I'm like, 
Now I can put the bag down. So the question I just want to ask, can you even imagine what life, your life, not just universal, but your life would look like if you literally walked bagless? If you didn't carry the luggage of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that many of us, if not all of us, carry. I just love this verse in Romans. No condemnation right now. If you know Jesus, this is truth. This is not something you have to work yourself to. This is not something you have to try really hard to make a truth in your life. If you know who Jesus Christ is, shame and guilt, condemnation, it's, you're done with it. And the beautiful reality is if God doesn't condemn me, then who am I to condemn me? Why am I walking around life condemning myself for the things I did do or didn't do? If God declares you're not condemned, why am I condemning myself? I'm free from that. If God doesn't condemn me and I don't condemn myself, then why do I pay attention to anyone else who might condemn me? This is not a message of toughen up, have thick skin when someone tries to condemn you. But no, I can take that and say, you know what? That's just not true. If the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sovereign and the holy doesn't condemn me, why do I do that to myself? Or why would I allow myself to live under the condemnation of someone else? I'm going to pray. And uh, real quick today, we're going to walk through a few verses. And the two questions that I really want to ask today is this. Why am I not condemned? I really want this to be true. I believe it to be true, but I have to ask the question, why am I not condemned? Did God just randomly pick people and be like, you and you and you and you, not condemned, all of everyone else, sorry. Why am I not condemned? And the second question we'll get into is, how do I live like a person who's not condemned? Like, what should, practically speaking, my life look like? If it's true that I am not a condemned man or condemned woman, how do I live bag-free? How do I live not walking around, shifting shame and guilt from one hand to the other? Let me pray, and uh, this is where we're going today. God, you are great, you are good, you are kind and loving, and I'm so thankful for Romans chapter 8, verse 1. God, I just sense that this has already probably stirred some things in people who are just totally saddled, strapped, carrying luggages, luggage and suitcase and just bags of shame and guilt over their past, or over their present. God, I pray that literally today, people would leave this room lighter. God, I know you can do that. I just ask in Jesus' name that this would be uh, an awesome day of people literally putting their bags of shame and guilt and condemnation down because you've declared in Jesus, we are not condemned. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. John Newton, Amazing Grace, author of Amazing Grace, said this, Alas, though I know in theory what a Christian should be, I am still sadly deficient in practice. I am, poor, I am a poor creature and see much to be ashamed of every day and in every circumstance. Yet though sin will distress, it cannot condemn those who believe in Jesus." That resonates with me because I look at my life and I'm like, wow, I've got a long way to go. I've got so much growing and so much maturing to do. I still have sin in my life and when I look at that sin, I am, I'm distressed. But the one thing that I am not when I look at my sin is as John Newton says, 
Yet though sin will distress, it cannot condemn those who believe in Jesus. I will say this probably at least 50 more times. If you know Jesus, condemnation should not be part of your world. Why? That's my first question is why should, why are we not condemned? Let me read Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The question is, why are we not condemned? And the very quick top-level answer is simply this. I am not condemned because Jesus was condemned in my place. I just want you to remember that. If you ever wonder, well, why am I not condemned? Well, Jesus was condemned in my place. He didn't get a free pass out. Jesus was the one who was condemned for me. He stood in my place taking the full condemnation, the full weight wrath of sin and the wrath of God. Jesus took it so I did not have to. Okay? In Romans chapter 8, just the first few verses, uh, Paul, I want to highlight just two things that Paul highlights that God has done for us in Jesus. And the first one is this. He set me free from the law of sin and death. He says that in verse 2. Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that basically means I am a sinner, you are a sinner, sinners deserve to be punished. And the punishment of sin against a holy God is the full weight of the wrath of God on you for eternity. Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. The full weight of God's wrath, eternal wrath, was on me because of sin. Now, the only reason that I'm set free, the only reason that I am set free from the law of sin and death is because Jesus stood in my place. I just... I'm going to say this a lot. I want you to be amazed at what Jesus has done for us. Like, the, I can be condemned free because of Jesus. I am set free from the law and paying the penalty of, of sin and death and separation and the wrath of God because Jesus took it all. He stood in my place. I like how um, Jerry Bridges said this. He said, Christ exhausted the cup of God's wrath. For all who trust in him, there is nothing more in the cup. It's empty. There's nothing left for me because Christ took it all. So the punishment, the full punishment that I was supposed to get, Jesus got. And was exhausted in Jesus, so there is absolutely nothing left for me. Good question would be, well, why did Jesus do that? Why on earth would Jesus stand in my place, a sinful, rebellious heart like me? Why would Jesus stand in my place. And I love in verse 2 and 3, God intervened on our behalf. Did you catch how it said, God sent his son? Jesus was a missionary. Jesus, the son of God, was sent by the Father 
to do for sinful humanity what humanity could not do that obey the law, could not be righteous. So God said, I will send my righteous son to fulfill all of the requirements of the law so that he, would, he is completely righteous. And he will stand, he will represent, he will be a substitute for all of sinful humanity. This is the amazing truth of what Jesus has done, sent by God to ultimately accomplish what I could not accomplish on my own. Paul says, Jesus was sent in my likeness, meaning he looked like us. Okay, He wasn't like this spirit being who kind of just floated from place to place. Jesus was a man. He felt everything that we feel. And I like how he sent in the likeness of sinful man. But one of the things that Paul's clear, and I want to be clear, is Jesus it was not a sinner. He looked like a sinner because he looked like us. Here's a question for you. If Jesus had just sinned once, if just like one, and since we sometimes err on the side of thinking there are scales of sin, what if it was like a really tiny one? What if Jesus just sinned once? What would happen to Jesus? What would ultimately happen to us? Well, if Jesus just even sinned once, there's no sacrifice, there's no atonement, there's no redemption. There's no justification. There's no re reconciliation. Why? Because you can't, one sinner cannot change places with another. It doesn't matter whether you sinned once or you sinned a billion times. Scripture teaches in Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. God sends his perfect, righteous, holy son to live among us, to fulfill all of the righteous requirements of God's perfect law, something we couldn't do because our sin, our flesh, we were bent on rebelling against God, so God sends his son. This is the gospel of I'm answering the question of why am I not condemned? Because Jesus stood in my place. He took God's full weight of his wrath and condemnation upon himself. Piper, Mr. John Piper said it like this, I measure your love for me by the magnitude of the wrath I deserved and the wonder of your mercy by putting Christ in my place. If you're catching something thus far, I want you to see Jesus stood in your place. That's why you're not condemned. Somebody was condemned. It wasn't you. It was Jesus. When I walk around and I'm feeling condemned and I'm just feeling, you know, I, I had a really bad night last night. I did this or I shouldn't have done this or this week, you know, it was a lot of crazy stuff happened at work that I'm not really proud of. When I walk around with that weight of feeling the guilt or the shame of something that could have happened 12 hours ago or 72 hours ago or a month ago or 15 years ago, when I walk around with that weight of guilt, shame, condemnation, what am I communicating to God? I'm communicating one message to God, and the message is this. Jesus did some good things, but it wasn't enough to cover what I just did. So the condemnation, the shame, and the guilt, it's all on me. God, I've got big shoulders. I've got many bags. I'll put it in one of these, and I'll carry it. 
Anytime, anytime I'm walking around, if I'm a Christian and I know Jesus, shame and guilt, condemnation, the message I am sending to the Father is it wasn't good enough. I'll have to carry this one on my own. That's what we're saying to the Creator. And this is the joy of what Romans 8, 1 through 4 is teaching. If you know Jesus, you are not a condemned man or a condemned woman. Your past sins, your present sins, they're completely paid for. Why? Because Jesus stood in your place. And I know that everything in our flesh is, screams out, there's no way that Jesus could cover that. Because we all have stuff in our, call it your, your closet, right? We all have stuff that we know we've done, we know we've thought, Jesus couldn't cover that. I just want you to know it's covered. It's completely covered. If you are a Christian, shame, guilt, condemnation, you have been set free from that now, completely, forever. I know you're not smiling now because it seems like I'm yelling at you, but this should put a big smile on your face. This should be one of those things like, I can't, if this is true, this changes everything. If this is true that I'm not condemned by God and I don't have to live with guilt, fear, and shame, I can put these bags that have been killing me and weighing me down now and don't have to pick them back up. Ever. Like tomorrow, you don't have to wear that. Why? Because Jesus stood in your place. You do not stand condemned. Now, I'll finish with this second question of, okay, well, what does that look like? Uh, how do you live tomorrow? How do you go to work? How do you operate in your house as one who's not been condemned? I think we all know what a condemned person looks like. They look miserable. They're depressed. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're bitter. They're worried. Why? Because they got the weight of their condemnation, shame, and guilt in their bags on their shoulders. I know what that looks like. I know what that even feels like. So what does it look like not to be that man, not to be that woman, bag-free, shame, guilt, condemnation-free. Now, this is going to be a question we're going to unpack literally over the next few weeks as we walk through Romans chapter 8. But I'm going to give you just one thing and some practical ways this plays out, uh, and it's this. One who has been freed from condemnation is the individual who knows how to live a spirit-filled life. I know what it looks like to live a flesh-filled life, but the one who is free from condemnation, free from shame and guilt, is the one who is living a spirit-filled life. The back end of Romans 8, 4, it said this, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Okay? What does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? If the one who's been set free from condemnation, shame, and guilt is living a spirit-filled life, what does that ultimately mean? And here's two things. I'm just giving you two. This is not exhaustive, and this is not a self-help list. These are two things that are evident of someone who is living a spirit-filled life. Number one is this. Stop self-helping. <laughs> Stop self-helping helping. Okay, so hopefully someone's asking, well, what does it mean to be a self-helper? I'm really glad you asked. Uh, 
The answer to that question is, it's this person. A self-helper looks like and sounds like this. If I just pray more, if I, could, if I just read my Bible more, if maybe I'm more generous with my finances or my time, if I just do this, maybe I should try fasting. Maybe that will help. It's the man or the woman who's walking around with the weight of their own shame and guilt, condemnation on them, and their response is, if I just do this. And so what they do is, they go and read their Bible, and they're like, huh, I feel so much better about myself. You know, instead of praying five minutes, I'm going to go for gold. I'm praying for for 10. And then you hit the 10-minute mark, and you're like, wow, God certainly should be impressed and I can just wipe the, the guilt and the shame condemnation off of me. That is the life and the sounds of a self-helper. If you would live condemnation-free, meaning a spirit-filled life, you are not the man or the woman who is self-helping. And the major problem with self-helping is you dig yourself into a deeper ditch of condemnation because you can't even meet your own expectation. What do you do when you're like, I tried to read today, but I only I fell asleep after the second verse. Or I tried to pay, pray 10 minutes and I, I started daydreaming and I was only 30 seconds in. So what do you do? You start condemning, man, I can't even pray. I can't even read my Bible. The things that you thought were gonna help you now are condemning you. C.J. Mahaney in a book called The Cross-Centered Life said this, it's impossible to resolve issues of yesterday by doing better tomorrow. Our promise of future obedience, however sincere, do not resolve condemnation for past sin. What you promise to do tomorrow, read and study and pray and fast and serve and give, will not wash away, take away, relieve you of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. Now here's another charge. I have met people that they feel more spiritual the more condemned they feel. They beat themselves up. Why? Because they're mature. They're spiritual. And a spiritual person just carries the weight of not only their sin, but everyone else's sin on their shoulder. And it's all under the banner of I'm a spiritual person. My, My sin, I'm carrying that around with me. Please don't buy into that lie that somehow that pleases God. It is, I'll be honest with you, it is absolutely offensive to God, displeasing to God when I look to God and say, I've got so much guilt and shame and condemnation. Jesus, God, what you did in sending your son, it wasn't enough. The most glorious thing that we can do, or the most glorifying thing that we can do is look to God and say, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Paid it all. It was completely sufficient. I don't carry this condemnation because Jesus took it for me and from me. God looks and said, amen, brother. Yes, he did. Don't live with the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. That offends. What glorifies God is the one who says, I believe with all my heart. I'm distressed by my sin, but I'm not condemned because of my sin because Jesus did that for me. I'll finish this last second practical way of living a very spirit-filled life, meaning the one who doesn't 
walk around condemned, filled with guilt and shame and condemnation. And the first one was stop self-helping. And the second one is simply this, stop sinning. I think sometimes we get very confused between the difference of condemnation and conviction. What you feel as guilt and shame and condemnation that you're just beating yourself up with is actually probably the Spirit of God trying to convict you with a simple message. Stop sinning. One of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John is of of a woman who was literally physically caught in the act of adultery. She was brought out in front of the crowds and all of the crowds had stones ready to kill this woman because by law, if you're an adulterer, you're killed. That was Old Testament Mosaic law. And so they bring this woman out to Jesus and like, Jesus, what are you going to do? And they're trying to trick and trap Jesus into what Jesus is going to do. And I just, Jesus is like, you want to see what I'm going to do? It's going to be the complete opposite of what you think I'm going to do or what you want me to do. This is John chapter 8. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Okay, just caught in adultery. It wasn't like, oh, a month ago. Like we're talking very fresh, very present. Dragged in, hand caught in the cookie jar, busted, brought out in front of everybody. Caught in adultery, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, okay, I'll stop there. Can you imagine that? If you were forced to come up on stage and I called you out and said, I know what you were doing last night. In front of everyone, can you imagine the feelings of just fear and shame and guilt? You couldn't even look anyone in the eye. Why? Because you got busted. This is the situation the woman is in. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Well, what do you say? In verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. What a phenomenal thing that Jesus said. I see you all, you got stones in your hand and you're ready to throw it. But before you throw, let me ask you one question. If there's any one of you here that doesn't have sin in their life, go for it. You huck the first stone. Throw it hard, aim straight. What a paralyzing question because not one person, they were leveled with what Jesus said because, wow, my sin might not be called adultery, but it could be called lust. It could be called pride. It could be called whatever you want. And Jesus goes on. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. I love how the older ones went first because they realized, wow, I've got a lifetime of sin. But the younger ones still pretty impressed with themselves that their sin is not that bad or offensive They were the last ones lingering around, waiting to see what would happen, but eventually they left. And now a room has been cleared, and it's just Jesus and this woman. If you're this woman, what are you thinking now? 
Well, I'm thankful that the crowds have left, but what is this man Jesus going to do? What is this man Jesus going to say? And Jesus straightened up and he asked her. He looked right in her eyes and he asked her this question, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, I I can't believe it, but they all left. Your one question forced them to leave. There is not one person here. And then Jesus, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you. Like some of you, I just want you to hear that from Jesus to you. I don't condemn you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. I don't condemn you. Like, please, if, let that just get into your heart and your head. This is what Jesus said to this woman. I don't condemn you. And the amazing thing about this statement is he could have because he was the only one in the crowd who was without sin. He should have, if there was 500 people there, he had 500 stones to throw because he was the only one without sin. And the sinless one is the one who looked at her and said, I am actually without sin. I could throw a stone, but I'm choosing not to. Why? Because I will be crushed. I will be the one who will get stoned, crucified, killed, murdered. So you don't have to. So Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop. Jesus says this amazing truth, but then he challenges her. Stop sinning. Stop living your life as if what Jesus has done is not good enough. The question was, why am I not condemned? Well, Jesus stood in my place. Well, how do I live as one who is not condemned? I live a very spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-guided, not flesh-driven, flesh-led life. Meaning I stop self-helping. And the second one is I stop sinning. I shared this quote a few weeks ago from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And I hadn't quoted him yet today, so I had to get him in here. Sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God Can you love it anymore? I can't choose, willfully choose sin in light of what Jesus has done. I can't keep putting more nails in the cross, as it were. A reason that many of us are walking around with lots of guilt and shame and condemnation is because we're still walking around in sin. And the message is, you're not condemned, but stop sinning. It's it's that simple. God's convicting you to stop doing your thing, living your way, making decisions and choices that are feed your hedonistic pleasure. R.C. Sproul once said, you feel guilty because you're guilty. Bless you. Stop self-helping and stop sinning. Well, everyone's like, well, I would like to stop sinning. How does that work? We talked a lot about that last week. We're going to talk about more of that in the weeks to come. But so much of my sin is a direct result of I stopped looking at Jesus. 
And I started looking at the man in the mirror. Well, what's best for you today, Michael Davis? What would you like to do, Michael Davis? You want to think that thought? Go ahead, Michael Davis. You want to do that? Go ahead, Michael Davis. You know, I, I looked at Jesus, and I claim an incredible promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation. Why? Because he stood condemned for me. I'll finish and make it very clear. That verse right there is only true for one person. The only person who has the right to put the bags down. The only person who has the right to put shame and guilt and condemnation down now, forever, not to be picked up, is if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the one who looked at you and said you're not condemned, you will walk around feeling, rightly so, guilty, filled with shame and filled with condemnation. Why? Because the wrath of God is still on you. And it's not until you confess Jesus, he is my God, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, that I can claim Romans 8.1. Some of you here today are Christians, but you walk around with bags. Put the bags down. It's an offense to God to walk around with bags of guilt and shame and condemnation because what Jesus did for you is enough. You can't do anything more. You can't add to it. Jesus did it all. As you would come take communion in a few moments, you'll see all my collection of bags. Put your proverbial bag down. As you, as a Christian, would come and celebrate communion, put it down. Whatever you've been carrying, Jesus, I thank you that because you were condemned in my place, I no longer am condemned. I claim that truth. I claim that promise. Give me the grace to live that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and convict the heck out of me if I ever pick up another bag again. If you're not a Christian, man, I am excited for you today to hear this message because I know what it was like to live under the unbearable weight of my guilt, of my shame, of that feeling of condemn, of being condemned. Jesus says you're not. He says you're not because he was condemned for you. If you're not a Christian today, as we would pray and as we would worship, pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I am a sinner, but I'm looking to you as my savior. I am trusting you that my sins are forgiven and I am reconciled with God because of you.